podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello there, my name is Miles Jupp, cricket fan, and together with my co-host Mark Wood, actual cricket man, we invite you to listen to Middle Please Umpire, a new cricket podcast containing the two of us banging on and sounding off together about cricket and quite possibly all manner of other things, while lifting the lid on Mark's life as an international cricketer. And as if that wasn't enough, we shall be welcoming some great guests along the way and chatting to them about life on and off the playing field as they spill the beans, drop some truth bombs, and see if they can withstand the scrutiny of our brutal interrogations. Middle Please Umpire is available right now from all your favourite podcast providers. Hello and welcome to the Newcastle Now. My name is Fergus Craig and I'm joined by Paul Doolan. Hello. And Dave Watson. Even chaps. Dave, you always leave quite a long dramatic pause before uh saying hello after i introduce you yeah there's a reason and what is that reason well because i always think like I, I never know what to say is it like hello boys hello chaps hello guys it's just all, every option i come up with makes me sound like a twat and by the time i realize that it's already been like a second or so of dead air so then i just blurt something out and sound like a twat so it's oh, all right mate, for I'm you sorry, with I your didn't hello I didn't I didn't want to underline it for you. Well, but. you have. You've, you've drawn a big circle around it and an arrow coming off it saying this guy's a twat. So, you know, well done, That's Fergus. We've started this pod very critically, haven't we? I think when it wasn't meant to be a criticism. I was just interested. There was obviously something going on there and I was interested by it. And it turns out that we're getting fundamentally to the core of you as a human. And, <laughs> and it sounds like I didn't realise, but it sounds like you're a very damaged man. <laughs> I think it feels. I'll see what else is damaged, and that is Newcastle United. <laughs> um, sorry, Paul, you wanted to say something? No, I thought Dave's pause is because he hears the intro to the Natter, and it's sort of like Groundhog Day, and his brain's just going, "Oh fucking hell, I'm here again, <laughs> doing this." <laughs> Trying to convince you two to act that I'm right and you're wrong. <laughs> well, today might be your week. <laughs> <laughs> what makes you say that, Paul? <laughs> well, there's lots of better things that we could be doing, but unfortunately, most of them right now are currently uh, illegal. Oh, let's uh, talk about Newcastle United. Since the last podcast, we've had two games. As I remember it, the general vibe was, certainly amongst us, that there had been an improvement in terms of attitude, uh, if not results. There had been a, 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 an improvement in terms of dynamism and energy and all of that. And we knew we had Arsenal coming up in the FA Cup. We accepted that we weren't favourites for that game, so that could end up being off. But the real test of that... Uh, newfound momentum would be the Sheffield United game. How do we feel that went? <laughs> well, I wanted to very quickly mention and just go over the Arsenal game very No, let, yes, let's talk about the Arsenal game first. Let's do that and we'll get that covered. Because I thought that game looked like two underperforming mid-table Premier League, Premier League teams with nothing to play for in the league 
uh, meeting each other in like a cup that they're not going to win. They're not taking that seriously. It was pretty, you know, both teams made a significant number of changes to their normal 11. And I didn't care. The result, like the performance was fine. It was all right. It wasn't, we weren't great, but neither were we completely overawed. And Arsenal weren't great and neither were they completely overawed. It just, it ended 2-0 and fucking fine. I was a, you know, I'm not angry as I have been about other results. I'm not angry about that result at all. What I hoped is that because we made so many um, changes, that that would mean that the game against Sheffield United, we would see a continuation of the the uptick in you know intensity that we saw previously. I, I was hoping we were going to see that, and fuck me, did we not? Uh, no, it was um, not a, a good performance at all. Uh, I did the Arsenal game. I remember our vibe in the WhatsApp group was relatively positive it was an all right performance um as i always say we're always in games towards the end if not in terms of performance then at least in terms of the possibility that a goal might go in on again of someone's and we did take the game into extra time yeah i think as well in the arsenal game it wasn't like previous games where we've we said we're in still in it because the scoreline's level we had carol missed i don't know if it's harsh to call it a sitter the one that was ruled offside but would have been overturned by var and then that late chance as well we probably not necessarily should have won it in the 90 minutes but easily could have won it and there wouldn't have been many complaints mm-hmm. okay then so before we st- descend into inevitable uh, neg- negativity uh, let's talk about Andy Carroll a bit because he was he surprised me by how good he was in the Arsenal game I'm not saying he's setting the world on fire but I had sort of written him off as uh, a Premier League player really um, but in the I last think... his last few um, appearances whether starting or off the bench he's been alright hasn't he I think there's no better way to turn your career around as a Premier League striker by replacing Joel Linton. Sure. I think anyone's going to look good in comparison. But he has, I was surprised he managed as long as he did as well. His fitness didn't seem too much of a concern. He does look like he can still strike a ball. Mm. He doesn't look particularly spent. He was never the quickest anyway, so it's not like he's lost the attributes that made his game. His problem's always just been injuries, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he looks like a good a good option. I was sort of stunned it. by the fact that he made it, what, like halfway through extra time mm. and was still like a part of the game. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I tell you, the other positive to take from, from that Arsenal game, aside from... Um, Aside from uh, Andy Carroll, was Elliot Anderson. I thought he, yes. he came on. And he looked sharp. He looked um, hungry, and um, that that intensity that I'd mentioned a, a while back. That you know, bringing the the, the kids or the um, players on the fringe who are playing for their future or just playing for a, you know, like a bit of experience or whatever. Bring them into the, the first team picture because we're not getting it from the first teamers. I thought he looked looked good. You know, he, I'm not going to. 
hype him up too much, but he had, you know, he had a couple of opportunities. He, he you know, what do they call it? Like recycled possession. You know, he, he got the ball and moved it on quite quickly. He was always looking for the ball. Yeah, I think Elliot Anderson's a, a big positive from that Arsenal game. I thought he looked fine. I don't want to like criticise him, trying to like hype him up. But um, I think there's such a desire for us to have like young, exciting players come through that like someone coming on and not shitting their pants. Uh, go on, Paul. Well, I was gonna, him, it's not so much not shitting his pants, but him coming into a team where every player who receives the ball shits their pants. <laughs> he sort of stands out as our most comfortable player on the ball in the 10 minutes he's played for the team. We, I mean, we'll come into this with the uh, the Chef United game. But we, Jesus, I can't remember seeing a team that looks so uncomfortable with a football as us. Mm. It's, it's like it's on fire and we're trying to kick it out of an orphanage. And it's not just the, it's not just like the, um, uh, under Benitez, we were comfortable in, on the ball along our back line. Like they were quite happy to pass the ball between themselves in that position. Maybe the, the midfield and the forwards weren't, but currently everybody looked like you say, Paul, everybody looks shit scared of the ball and everybody's just wants to hoof it clear or pass it to somebody else quickly and just get rid of the, like absolve themselves of responsibility. I think every game recently there's been either a, a corner or an attacking throw-in or a free kick where within sort of 10 seconds the ball's ended up back at Carl Darlow without the opposition having a touch. Well, it was it just like everyone who gets the ball is just like, fucking hell, what do we do with this? Pass it sideways or backwards rather than play a riskier pass. Well, it's wanting to play that um, cautious pass, isn't it? But, like, the irony is that, like... So I remember hearing that Guardiola doesn't have a problem with... If it's not working out for you on the right side passing it all the way back, gradually, back to the keeper, and then starting again and trying down the left-hand side. And it seems like we do that, but the idea, what we get sort of like 6% of the way, that the idea that we could string together 20 passes to make that work. But it always ends up, it ends up back at the keeper and then a long ball. You get the feeling if Darlow had someone behind him, he'd play it backwards, and that player would then play it backwards. But it was like there's no effort to recycle it to the other wing. Play for us, but there's the percentage play for us, even if it's it's not the pretty thing and it's not the way football should be played. Is even if your options aren't great, just by virtue of the fact that you're in the final third of the other team you should just try and get the ball into the box. Because if you're going to try and pass it back to us, yeah. to our half, then the, uh, the chances of us getting in their third, final third again before they have the ball are quite low. So, mm. if, if, you're like... relying on, if you're relying on a long ball from Darlow to get move the ball up the pitch, that's already like a percentage ball that you're probably not going to be favourites for. So like you say... 
just immediately if 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 the easy you know if you're not uh, you haven't got a comfortable option in front of you yeah just toss it into the box because you know they might shin it out for a corner by mistake or something it's much better than that going all the way back to our keeper much better yeah i can understand the long ball in sort of when we lined up 442 and had carol and wilson it makes sense then but if you've got Wilson up on his own 50 yards away from his midfield, even if he wins it, he's either got to beat five people and score or wait an hour for Jeff Hendrick to catch up with him. It just screams of a, of a team that is scared to lose. So they don't want to take the responsibility of, of putting in a, a riskier pass or whatever. So they'll take the safe option. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's coming from the, the top because you look at the, the formation that was picked for the Sheffield game and it was five at the back with Hendrick and um, uh, what is Hayden in, in centre midfield and then... Sean Longstaff and Fraser as like what was he called them false tens. That's not a that's not a, an ambitious lineup. That's not that's not saying this team without a win that we're going to come up against. We can have them. We're going to go out of there and we're going to we're going to dominate. We're going to play our way. It was it was fucking hell. We can't lose this game. These are the worst. Mm. This is the worst team in Premier League history. Like so we're going to. So we've moved into the Sheffield United game. Yeah, um, I did sort of forget, and so I'll get in my one excuse for that performance before uh, we sort of unanimously tear it to shreds. Is it to do with the Capitol building and the? <laughs> Was it Antifa? Are you going to blame this on Antifa? It's Antifa. I feel like Antifa has infiltrated <laughs> our squads. Um. <laughs> no, it, it is that I had sort of forgotten that only, what, four days before we had uh, played extra time against Arsenal, which could explain the lineup. Basically, we could have been tired because we sort of looked, like we were saying on WhatsApp that we looked like we had COVID again when we were playing uh, Sheffield United. So it could have been there could have been some fatigue from the Arsenal game, and that could have explained some players not starting that we thought should. That's the one excuse to throw in. The one, the selection all over seemed mad though. I think it was it was picking five very defensive defenders. There's no effort to have any control against Sheffield United. It was a very defensive, reactive lineup. You just think Matty Longstaff who's probably been our best midfielder in the last month or so. His energy's made a difference. He was rested for the Arsenal game. Why is he not starting? I don't understand it. And Wilson was playing and didn't feature in the mm. um, in the Arsenal game. Um, Fraser didn't play in the Arsenal game. Yeah. Um, well, Wilson did not look sharp, I thought, against Sheffield United. No. He's not looked good lately, but his, it's that thing. If you're a striker and you're just not getting the ball, it sort of gets harder every week to look sharp. Mm. Uh, there's, I'm going to do a bit of a Dave. I mean, there's been a sort of like analysis. There's been a few of these uh, through the months. But um, 
there's been an analysis on uh, Sky Sports of like how bad we've been over the course of the season. Um, it does feel like a lot of pressure is building on Steve Bruce right now. I mean, he's obviously for about a year, the vast majority of Newcastle fans have, I've always thought, been over the top uh, down on him. But it feels like there's proper pressure building now. We're like... Uh, yeah, even talk sport pundits are putting the boot in. That's usually a sign. Yeah, in terms of opposition passes allowed per defensive action, we're like easily bottom of the table by a long way. Just, uh, yeah, I know you keep saying it, Dave. I'm just looking at it. We are in like 20th or 19th in almost every metric. But I think earlier in the season, we were, I think especially me and you, Fergus, were saying we're getting the points. So, how much do these metrics matter and is it a case now of we were lucky and the style and the type of performance is starting to catch up with us um i think it is that is true i've always like i've i'm always this like weird renegade with this um you're so edgy and cool cool and i've got this like contrarian disposition and the leather jacket Let's not forget that. <laughs> I'm a sort of like centrist um, contrarian. So when everyone was like licking Rafa's balls, I found it incredibly tiresome and reacted against that. And when everyone was laying into Steve Bruce, I found it incredibly over the top and had a vibe of like, please stop being mean to him. <laughs> so, um, but I feel like, I don't think I'll ever tip over the edge into like being radicalised and infiltrating, you know, St. James's. St. James's. Mm. (laughs) um, I do feel like um, uh, it has sort of tipped for me now. Yeah, there's been stuff before with Steve Bruce where a sort of a not insane starting lineup would be announced and Twitter would be saying, this is just exactly the problem this dinosaur needs to go. And you're like, a ball hasn't been kicked yet and it's not that shocking a lineup. But the 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 team he's feel very attacked the, right now. I feel no, very no, no, attacked. No, 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 <laughs> but I think that for I me mean, sometimes you, Dave. Sometimes yeah. you. But <laughs> I'll I mean it. the the four four two bit earlier in the season, possibly. <laughs> but I'm thinking more the Sheffield United, when the lineup and formation came out for that, that was one where you just think that that is an indefensible selection because you are only playing that formation to counter-attack or just absorb attacks from a team who had two points from 19 games. It's madness. It's so unambitious. And it, I just don't know where that mindset is supposed to get you. It must trickle down to the players as well. So the before the game, I was talking about the... the the, the game that we played under Sam Allardyce against the, the worst, like the, the current worst team in the Premier League history, Derby 0708. And we turned up with like Jeremy, Bott, Smith, and Milner in a midfield and defensive full backs and et cetera, et cetera. And we, that was another game where we turned up and the focus was we can't lose this game. 
and Derby were worse than Sheffield are now, like in terms of just their their ability to to play football. And when that like when that game as that game unfolded, it was absolutely clear that they were fucking terrified of losing to that to that Sheffield that Sheffield team. And it was it was exactly the same. It was it was a one nil loss against a fucking horrible football side. It's a, by two football dinosaurs. It's a shame that Fraser did get sent off, because which was I don't remember his first booking, but it was stupid, wasn't it? it? Was, it was two definite yellows, and it was very stupid. I, I thought he mm-hmm. was our only player who I, I remember saying in our chat that I thought if we did get a goal, it would come as a result of him. So I was just reminded how fast he was, and I thought. We, he had a chance of doing something in that game, and we. But our first half performance was appalling, and Sheffield United completely dominated it. But had he not got sent off, it's possible that in the second half we might have been able to turn things around, or do something in the game. But it's possible. But if you look at off, the first half, it doesn't seem likely. No, they, don't, I, I think they agree. dropped the first off. Half was the first half was awful, but then, and then once Ryan Fraser was off, then we didn't really have a chance to redeem ourselves. No, um, I, 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 I take what I take your point that like when you've got somebody with a bit of um, bit of something about them, like Fraser does, you'll always have an opportunity. And I think the uh, that that's fair, but the way that we were set up, the way that we performed for forty-four minutes. Even if Fraser had stayed on the pitch and we'd been 11 against 11, the way that we were allowing Sheffield through us and the way that we were allowing them to dominate proceedings in a way that they haven't done all season. I mean, we allowed them to have 17 shots, which is more than they, it's more than twice what they managed against similar teams to us, like Burnley and Crystal Palace. You know, teams who don't press particularly hard, teams who favour a long ball and counter attack. Even they only allowed Sheffield to have seven shots and we allowed them to have 17. We were, even before Fraser went off, we were we were open. It was so easy to play through us. Um, so I, I, I get what you're trying to say, Fergus, but like Paul says, I don't think it would have mattered. I think we performed think a really been, useful thing for Sheffield United. It's been hilarious. Mm. They were so low on confidence, and it's just, what do you want to get? It's basically, they turned up to that game with their confidence shot, and by not putting any tackles in, not pressing them, closing them down, it was like they came up against 11 cones. It's exactly what you don't want to give a team that's got zero confidence. It's just, yeah. And yet, and yet, it would have been hilarious... And I would have thoroughly enjoyed it had, at the end, in injury time, either Jacob Murphy's free kick gone in. I felt like it would have done. I felt like it was going to. Or Sheffield United very nearly scored a a calamitous uh, own goal. I would have found it hilarious if we'd have managed to get a point out of that game. So so I remember finding that kind of shit hilarious under previous managers. But I think the jokes got old under Bruce. 
there's too many times where we've played terribly and somehow fluked a point or three points and like played abject. It's now got to the stage where that kind of rescue in the 90th minute or the 93rd minute by a calamitous on goal, I might have had a chuckle. And then five minutes later, I would have been like, for fuck's sake, this just, it's, it's another one where we've been shit. And the, well, that's been the, the theme. but that's the focus the theme. would have shifted, but the focus would have shifted away from how badly we played to what's well, a point on the board. And I don't, I, I, that's a drum I've been banging for ages where it's not sustainable. And I think we're seeing that now where we're not sustaining it. Well, that's been a theme of our season, uh, not only in terms of how things have gone, but in terms of our conversations. Mm. I mean, I'm like, I would have just enjoyed that plainly as like hilarious, but I wouldn't, mm. you know, but I, I would have, even if that had happened, I, for me last night, if the thing is, I don't, I, I, even like a few months ago, if you said, if we sacked Steve Bruce and brought in, brought in Eddie Howe, for example, I would have been completely fine with that. Like, fine. But mm. Fine. But I wasn't crying myself to sleep every night over Steve Bruce being our manager. No, I, I, I just get that. Things I, I, as they are. Yeah, last I, last I, night, yeah. for me, it was a tipping point where, like, well, the case has been made now. This is unturnroundable, I would have thought, for him yeah. as our manager. And it, it's kind of ridiculous him staying on. But I'm sure we'll talk more about this after the break uh, about Ben Av for, uh, for Newcastle. But um, is there anything else you'd like to say about the Sheffield United game? I think just coming back to the point about enjoying it if we had nicked it at the end. I know what you mean, but it it's like all jokes. It It decreases in how funny it is the more you hear it. And I think but it would have been sometimes the 15th a lot of- touch. But sometimes with a lot of jokes, they stop being funny and then it starts being funny again. Are we going to be the Stuart Lee of the Premier League? Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, let's have a break. And afterwards, uh, we will. Uh, I'll get onto Twitter, see what you've been saying. And uh, we will discuss uh, where now for Newcastle United. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Hello, welcome back to the Newcastle Natter. Your fourth favourite Newcastle United related pod, related podcast. 
Um, I'm here with uh, <laughs> with Dave and Paul again. Um, hi, hi, and we're going to go uh, straight in on social media and see. I'm just going to try and gauge the mood of you fans. I'm reading this completely blind. As I think all the questions are going to be about uh, availability of season tickets for when fans are allowed back in and nothing sure. else. Yeah, it's going to be things like, who's our best right back? Because we're sport for choice. Okay, here we go. <laughs> uh, Zach Leggett says, do you think Paul Dummett trained as a left wing back or Sean Longstaff as a right winger slash false 10? Etc. in the run-up to the Sheffield United match? Or did Bruce just decide to play them there on the night? It's a good question. It's a good question. And, and along a similar theme, um, I don't remember receiving tweets from this uh, guy. Uh, Rob Farquharson, what a name. I'm sure I'm pronouncing it wrong, wrong but Rob Farquharson says, at what point during the later stages of the second half of the game do you think Bruce decided that we were playing two false tens? Also, if you asked Steve Bruce what a false ten actually was, how many words would he say before he swore at you and walked away? <laughs> <laughs> I think this right. is the most bad comments that I haven't seen. Have we seen these? Yeah. So, you I know, I, I love a, a deep dive into, like, ridiculous like Catanaccio and Trecartista and Metzalas and all this kind of bollocks. I have no fucking idea what a false 10 is. I know what a false nine is. I'm all over false nines, comfortable with them. A false 10. So to me, a, a, a true number 10 plays in that space between the strikers and the midfield, links them up, is the creative, you know, creative driving force. A false 10 if we follow the same logic as a false nine, would have to play deeper and pull the defenders. That's just a fucking attacking midfielder, isn't it? Like, I don't, I don't understand this. No, I'm not having it. I, I, I don't think Steve Bruce knows what he's talking about either. I a think ten the plays other... in the hole. A false ten avoids the hole. Yeah. <laughs> Circle. It does donuts. <laughs> The other half. <laughs> I think Paul Dummett is not a left wing back. And we had two better left wing backs available. Well, Jamal Lewis, the jury's out on, but he's at least played that position and you would think is more comfortable going forward. And Matt Ritchie is definitely more comfortable there. And that if you think about the opposition, choice. well, if you think about the opposition, playing Lewis in that in that role would have been great for his confidence because he could have bombed forward and we would have had, you know, we should have had more opportunities for him to get forward and, and to to enjoy himself a little bit because he looks a player who looks a little bit short of confidence. To play Paul Dummett, Paul Dummett's a, a six, seven out of ten every game. He he's he's fine. He doesn't need that, and we'll need him for games against teams like Arsenal, who is coming up next, and where you do want him that that more defensive, reliable, experienced pro. So, yeah. I, I've got, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see Paul Dummett back being available. And he, like you say, he's a useful player. But, yeah, against Sheffield United, mm. a team who are having one of the worst seasons in Premier League history, to play five at the back and have Paul Dummett be your left wing back does not scream confidence or ambition. 
No, he's a very good player. I do think he's underrated. He's a good left back and a good centre back, but mm. he doesn't offer you anything going forward. There'll be one or two crosses a season where you say, oh, he's not a bad crosser of the ball. But that's a wing back these days is essentially a winger. Like Jacob Murphy, I would have much rather had at right wing back even. I don't understand why Jacob Murphy, I keep banging the drum for this, I do not understand why he's not getting more minutes. I don't think... I don't think... It's because he doesn't... Sorry, on, you go, go on. on. I was just going to say, it's because he's, he's not a defender. <laughs> it's because he's, he's, he's not a defender and... Um, Steve Bruce is scared of losing that game. But he has played him at right back. I think he's, he's played Murphy at right back when we were playing four at the back. And, but even even going four, even as not part of the defence, even as part of a front three, I don't think Jacob Murphy is the future of Newcastle United or this great player. But in terms of form, he is actually probably the best deliverer of the ball into the box that we've got and considering we don't get many opportunities in the final third of the of the opposition's uh, of the pitch i i think that we need someone to be able to deliver the ball in he would have made he would have made more sense playing in the position sean longstaff was than Sean Longstaff playing there was. I think that was sort of the case, three or four cases across the board of, is there a better choice to play in the position that they've been chosen and a fitter player as well? Mm. We were talking about Matty Longstaff being one of those. And you thought, what's Almiron got to do to start a game as well? Especially when you need to be on the front foot. Yeah. And he's not a player that strikes me as like... You know, you know, with like Ryan Fraser, who's coming back from a long time out, maybe he needs to be like gently introduced to the to the season and some maximum whenever he returns, just gradually bring him back. Almiron is looks like the kind of player who can play eighty minutes every fixture. He's just got a good engine on him. So yeah, I would have had, I would have happily seen Jacob Murphy and Almiron play for 60 minutes in that like in that full like attacking position whatever you want to call it mm. and then bring on Fraser for the final half hour just give him a bit of bit more game time don't risk I honestly him. think I, mean, in, in, I honestly think in Steve Bruce's psychology there's a sort of thing where I think he's just a bit scared I think there's an, a, a sense that well this is a game that I should win therefore I will play a very defensive cautious side to make sure that we get the win which is obviously mm. an incredibly flawed logic because then we're sort of handing over the the uh, initiative to the other side and giving a side low on confidence and opportunity to ease themselves into the game and 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 get some confidence of their own so yeah it's flawed theo penn says how do we sort out oh no no i'll yeah go on theo penn says how do we sort out the central midfield given we aren't going to bring anyone in this january every combination has its strengths and weaknesses but which combo will give us the football we want to see it does seem unlikely that we're going to bring anyone in with there may be a couple of loan signings or whatever but i think we're all agreed that we do ironically considering it's 
the part of the park where we're suffering the most. We do have a surplus of average central midfielders who are going to be difficult to offload. So he's probably right that we're not going to get any new bodies in central midfield. What is our best combination? Thomas Burkan replied to him, Rob Lee, David Batty, David Janola and Keith Gillespie. I think our best central midfield pairing in the tougher games where we need more energy seems to be Hayden and Long, Matty Longstaff. At the moment, say. I would agree. Yeah. I'd, I'd take that further and say that that should be our that should be our first choice central midfield partnership in all games because against a team like Fulham, for example, that amount of intensity and and dominance in the centre of the park would have allowed the other players a bit more freedom, would have allowed Callum Wilson to get on the ball a bit. You know, I, I, we haven't the luxury of of a top, top-class defensive midfielder that would allow us to play with uh, with John Joe Shelby um, pinging balls about at his leisure. We, we don't have that. So, And Sean Longstaff's not playing particularly well. Jeff Hendrick hasn't done anything to suggest he's a Premier League footballer. He's still our second top scorer this season. That Jeff is Hendrick. fucking criminal, isn't it? <laughs> I mean... I think with Shelby... Yeah. With John Joe Shelby, there are certain teams where I think he should start against. I think we have our midfielders available. There is an element of horses for courses. If we're mm. playing a, a more open, defensive, less intense, less pressing team, I think Shelby is useful for us because he's one of our few players who can actually turn attack into def- uh, turn defence into attack. I think when we don't have him, it's almost like watching tennis and our midfield is the net and it's just you have to avoid them at all costs. I think he at least brings that. It's when there's more pressing against them, he comes so deep and is just mm. ping perfect 70-yard balls. But then we've spoken about this before and said that you don't need to play Shelby if you're playing like Fabian Shah at the back or... Um, to a lesser extent, like players like Sean Longstaff um, can ping a ball about, not to the same degree as Shelby, but you can, you don't need to sacrifice. And I think what you say about like teams who don't play with a lot of intensity, they're very few. And I'd, I'd much rather just, just relegate John Joe Shelby to the reserves and work out a way to get Matty Longstaff, Isaac Hayden and Sean Longstaff rotate them for the games because it is a lot of pressure but if you can rotate them for the games and almost their job is now no longer to try and uh, to try and drag the the the, fo- the the game like forward as as John Joe Shelby does with 70 yard balls but just play a little bit further up and absolve themselves of that responsibility and give it to t- players like Fraser Almiron St Maximum and Wilson and just go right there's the ball yeah. it was a 20 yard pass I gave you go and do it I think You're that's why you didn't mention Jeff Hendrick there where's where's Jeff Hendrick going to play because you've got he's got his first name on the team sheet. Where's he going to play? <laughs> Second high scorer, he's got to be. I, I think was, the I other think day. A... Jeff Hendrick looks like he's gone for a run in the park and he's accidentally run through a football game. <laughs> <laughs> I think on Shelby, I know what you mean, Dave, and we have, I think, rightly said he shouldn't necessarily be in the first team. But I think on current form, he should be ahead of Sean Longstaff, and that's not a great reflection on Shelby. 
I think he offers us something none of our other midfielders do, and there are certain games where he is useful. But I don't think I think if we were looking, which of our midfielders would you want to be a settled pairing that you are first on the team sheet every time? I think it would be Matty Longstaff and Isaac Hayden. So I think we're agreed on that, and I I will say that I know we've had a lot of injuries and COVID and stuff, but I would like us to try for a settled pairing and it doesn't feel like there's a a, that seems like an ambition for the club because there seems like there's rotation when it's not actually needed well we'll probably bring in Nabil Bentaleb on loan (laughs) again because that works so well well Bentaleb the first time he played for us last season he hit like one beautiful left-footed crossfield pass where I remember thinking, well, he's a player and I can see why he's played at some big clubs. And I remember thinking, oh, this could be good. And that was the last good thing I saw him do. Um, So now I'm going to go to Alex Fusco. Uh, Classic Newcastle on that question. Percentage chance of relegation. Dave? Like 30%. 30%. Paul? I would say 25. 25, I would say I am. <laughs> Ironically, considering everything I've <laughs> said this season, I would put myself at 33.33 recurring. I think the I'm only reason I'm so you low... You're going to reassure me, Dave? Is it it's, yeah. what the other two sides are? Well, we are... So we're currently in 15th. We are four points off 11th, Arsenal in 11th. They're on 23 points, we're on 19. And we are eight points off 18th. So we've got an eight-point cushion um, as it stands. I mean, as long as Fulham haven't somehow picked up... A, we've done it before. And Fulham have equalised at Spurs as we, as we talk. Have they? Yeah. Have they? Fucking <laughs> hell. Why did I jinx it? But... So we're seven points clear of the drop and they've got a game in hand on us. We've got, yeah, so there you go. Four points clear of the drop, potentially. Uh, hang on. And now I'm the one making the argument for, we're going to go down. <laughs> I'm not saying that. But we have done it before in relegation seasons and there is no reason why we won't this, this season. There are a lot of signs. We could easily go 12 games without a point. The main um, reason I think that won't happen is just yeah. St. Maximin's going to be fit soon. And Absolutely. he answers a lot of the problems that we're currently facing. Yeah. And yeah. We, I, I, I think we'll, with St. Maximin and Callum Wilson, there's enough there to pick up. Okay. Well, our percentages range from 25% to 33%. So we're basically all in agreement. Uh, Nick Bird says, given what's on the line for Ashley, brackets, potential sale of the club, do you think he'll risk a repeat of the McLaren fiasco and again leave it until we're three points off relegation before making a decision? He's a little bit like Mike Mike Ashley, and uh, here's a little bit of politics for you guys. There are similarities between him and uh, Boris Johnson in that uh, he will leave it quite long before making a decision. Yeah, he'll do that Johnson thing of waiting until it's a crisis where there is only one decision you can make and then be mm. forced to make it. Which when I was thinking about this earlier today, the only time I think Ashley has got the sacking of a manager right 
in that it's either the right manager to get rid of or at the right time was Allardyce. I think yeah. ev- every manager he's got rid of then has been the wrong decision or the wrong timing. It's like who I remember being quite gone. annoyed at that moment in time, being quite annoyed about the Allardyce sacking. But you're you have to remember you're an edgy contrarian. <laughs> you smoke fags and who came in after wear Allardyce? Sunglasses. Keegan. Keegan. Oh right, okay. Yeah. Which was the wrong appointment. Like I love Keegan. He he is you know uh, you know what he done for the club. You can't you can't put it into words. But it was the wrong appointment. It was the kind of appointment that Ashley has subsequently made. Like oh, I'll just do this because the fans love him. Like Keegan Shearer, um, Steve Bruce. Oh, he's a Geordie, therefore they'll like him. It's it's not it's not well thought out. He, he I was the think... wrong man. I think if a vacancy comes up at your Premier League club, you're a fool if your first question isn't who's currently running a soccer circus <laughs> <laughs> that I could attract. <laughs> so actually, we should be scouring soccer circuses now to see who we could bring in. I tell you what, though, if if well, because was something I saw in the the Chronicle this this afternoon was that Ashley. Uh, you know, uh, Steve Bruce retains Ashley's confidence, and there's not there's nothing in the the pipeline that he's going to get the boot or anything. If that's the case, he has to pro- like provide some kind of support in the transfer window. Because hmm. if he's if he's you know if he's sticking with Bruce, then he has to at the very least bring in some new players uh, on loan. He has to do something in the transfer window. He has to like allow that to to take place or like you say Fergus it is possible that we could go on a 12 match winless run um I don't think he will I think he's going to stick to his policy and that we'll get a couple of loan signings in but oh but that's fine like as long if 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 it's loan signings that's I mean honestly I I don't mind that because you you come in towards he he still wants to sell the club so he's not going to go off and sign permanently somebody that he can't, you know, he doesn't think he's going to make money on or anything like that. It's not going to be like a £25 million centre midfielder, which is something that we need. And anything less than that won't improve Newcastle United enough to make a difference. So he has to, like, yeah, fine, fucking go for the transfer, like the, the loan market. I don't care, but something has to be added to this team. Otherwise, we will get dragged into a proper relegation fight. I think the I only thing. Oh, so I'll go on then, Paul. I said the only thing that could change Ashley's thinking this time is the takeover. Um, it would depend on what level of contact there is between sort of Staveley and Ashley at this point. Because I would imagine if it's running in the background, I don't know if they'd have any level of say, or even if it would just be the fear of relegation would force him to act quicker this time. Because I don't, I don't think Ashley wants. Well, he's not got the stomach for taking us up through the championship again. He wants us sold before that. So I think there's there would be more urgency this time, but I don't I just think there isn't the football brains there between him, Charnley and Keith Bishop and whoever, or Justin Barnes to make the right decision. No. Alex Fusco also says uh, if we were to sack Bruce, who would we get as a replacement? who in their right mind would want the job under the current regime that are desperate to sell and not invest a penny more. I would have thought that there are, pl- there are a lot more 
people who want to manage football clubs than there are football clubs. Yeah, Certainly yeah. Are more people who want to do it than there are Premier League clubs. So I think I we're a much more people who would do it. I think we're a much more palatable proposition for a manager than we have been at other times under Ashley as well. You look at the squad we've got, I think a lot of managers would look at that and say St. Maximin, Wilson, Sturdy, Dubravka, Federer, yeah. Fernandez. Yeah, yeah. There's, Roger there's Federer. Federer. Federer was the greatest player, of, tennis player of all time in our squad <laughs> and he never even gets a start. But, but the, I think um, as well, the, they'd the look other... at the last transfer window and look at the players we brought in and think there is actually some backing there for the manager. And the other thing is that the the takeover, it doesn't have to be viewed as a negative, like, oh, as soon as they come in, they're going to replace me. Uh, a manager like, an example that I've seen bandied, bandied about is Eddie Howe. And if Eddie Howe's t- looking at the job, he he wouldn't see, like, a takeover as a threat to him. If he does well, mm. they'll, they'll, they could keep him on. They could, like, you know... He's a Premier League manager. He's. It wasn't so long ago that they were talking about him for the fucking England job. So he is. He's got some cachet there, and if he came in and took us, I mean, fucking hell, let's go wild with ambition. Took us to twelfth. Um, if he got us playing some good football and got the fans on side, the takeover was not a terrifying thing. So it's I would say. Just to, just to finish, I was just going to say that um, anybody, anybody, if if Bruce is given the the short shrift, every any any manager will only be given till the end of the season. That's it's just it would just makes it would be a madness to give anybody a longer contract than that. There's a lot of reasons why Eddie Howe might not want to take the job, but personally, I think it could be a great choice for him. Because there's not um, many Premier League jobs floating around. He's got a very simple brief, stay up. And he does have players in our squad that could help him to to look quite good. And I would have thought that there's actually, I mean, he's gone a little bit out of fashion, hasn't he, towards the end of Bournemouth. Mm. There's actually not that many clubs are going to be offering him jobs that are at our level. And there are like already three players in our side who he has a relationship with that is hopefully positive. It might be a bit dodgy with Ryan Fraser, I don't know. But, he, you know, he yeah, might come they're... with some authority. And I do wonder whether, because he is English and talks like that, that he might get in on the back door via the back door like Mike actually Ashley might accidentally hire a quite <laughs> progressive manager just yeah. because he sounds a bit like Tim Sherwood my worry is Ashley would bring in Tim Sherwood but yeah sure. I would happily happily have Eddie Howe even though he got relegated in his last Premier League season mm. I mean the, the thing about Eddie Howe is he he He's not great at coaching defences, but he is good at, at getting the the the, um, the first team to play some quite quite appealing football, quite you know fun to watch football. And I think with the keeper that we've got, the defenders that we've got, 
I think if we could attack better, it would take much, much more pressure off them. And I think, like you say, Fergus and Paul, we've got players like St. Maximum, Almiron, Wilson, Fraser, who can play football and who can, you know, take a bit of pressure off them. To get us out of a relegation battle, that is actually what we need. Is we don't need like some like insane Keegan-ish attack. We do just need a little bit of like attacking impetus and positivity. But it doesn't feel like we need a sort of Allardyce style firefighter yeah. to come in either. No. no. But I think the appeal of the job at Newcastle is it it would give a certain calibre of manager access to a size of club that they otherwise wouldn't have so it gives it would give a manager a chance to going on to that next level yeah it's sort of like a very good looking woman who is insane (laughs) sort of it's the only circumstances under which it would happen so uh i'll just finish up on twitter here andy sheldon says how much would you pay me to remove bruce as a problem i think Sounds like Andy Sheldon's been radicalised on Parlour. Um, <laughs> so I'll I'll skip over that one before we get um, taken down. And then I'm just throwing this one at you guys. I don't know if there's anything you can do with it, but Paul M says, tell me a meal and a song that might cheer you up after watching Newcastle, please. <laughs> a meal and a song. A meal and a song. That's I love a that, real that famous, to cheer that, us up. That famous combo. I'm <laughs> oh, just taking the missus out for a meal and a song. <laughs> meal and a song. Right, okay. Um, it sounds like a sentence you'd get in like a foreign uh, phrase book. A few years ago, I took my girlfriend to Newcastle for the weekend and we went to watch the Newcastle United game and actually... In the it was in the early days of my friendship. I think I was there. Yeah. You came along to that game, and you were getting the train back. So me and Laurie decided to go out for a spontaneous. We were like, in a song. A meal in a song. We decided to go for an Indian. So I looked at my phone like, oh, what's a good curry in the centre of Newcastle? We ended up going to an Indian in the big market, and we were the only people in that Indian, not on a stack too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, what was it called? Was it the one where it's like... Um... It was just very functional. Like, this is a big room for men. It's not the it one that was always in Viz, was it? The Curry Probably. Capital was it. Like full on, just... We were just surrounded by a lot of songs. And we went for a meal and a lot of songs sung by... Uh, large man uh, right at the, mo- at the moment though that would cheer me up yeah uh, that would be my answer would be to just go for a curry a meal. <laughs> sing some songs that that um, recipe I sent you to the the, um, the Ruby Murray the, the chicken ruby from the Dishoom cookbook mm. Dave, Dave you're shattering the illusion it? of us as football hard men That's to the listeners we don't swap recipes <laughs> Oh, you know that Dishoom. Did you see the, and, um, uh, the the Chorley FC singing Adele? Adele, what was that? Ah. I I genuinely found that incredibly emotional. I thought I there was something about a group of people celebrating something in a little room together, no social distancing. That sort of like, oh, we're all together celebrating something. See, and I thought it was really 
nice that that was their having a sing song. I found it. I found it was like the genuinely emotional. It was like the Scotland team singing "Yes, Sir, I Can Boogie." That got me at the time. (laughs) Genuinely did. But they were doing something I cannot do, which is one like win an FA Cup, be part of an FA Cup game winning side, and two like sing a song with some friends in a room. <laughs> I'm not allowed to do that now. I was like, oh, this is quite nice. So yeah, I would that would be my answer. Okay. You'd go for I'd a like curry with the Chorley Town players, uh, the Crawley sing players, Adele, and singing Adele. Like or whatever it was. Um, yeah. okay, I'd go for a pub it. meal with Matt Ritchie and Ryan Fraser and sing Yes Sir, I Can Boogie. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that's an answer. Okay, well, um, our next game, we were we had a sort of like um, Sheffield United sandwich because with Arsenal as two slices of bread because our next game is against Arsenal away again Monday night on Sky. Ugh. Just looking at the games we've got ahead, we have got a tough run coming up. We're just in the right place for that, aren't we? Our next we eight do, games... We could get dragged, dragged into a relegation battle. It's not looking great for us. I mean, the thing about Arsenal, we have just drawn with them over 90 minutes. So it's not yeah. necessarily doom and gloom, but it'll be a different Arsenal. Yeah. So if, you had to, if you had to ask me to bet on where I think we'll finish in the table... I would still actually just go for 15th. I just, I just feel like we're going to be 15th, but I also feel like it is, there's a strong chance we'll be 17th, perhaps even 18th. Uh, what are your predictions for the Arsenal game? 2-0 Arsenal. Yeah, 2-0 Arsenal. 2-0 Arsenal. It's the Newcastle Natter prediction for you guys I'd take a goal just because it, it's been a while it's, it's been 10 hours hasn't it hang on Andy <laughs> Carroll got one um, in the league in the league play. That, long ago, didn't he? that was in the cup wasn't it it wasn't no he got one it was a late com- Leicester a late compilation goal yeah. against Leicester yeah only two games away so what's the problem guys <laughs> only two games ago 3rd of January Andy Carroll scored a meaningless goal in the 82nd minute. And before that, our last goal was on the 19th of December. Now a famous 1-1 draw with Fulham. It was a penalty. God, this is a depressing end to the... We should have saved up Nick... um, We should have saved up that... Meal and a song question for after this. It's fine. It doesn't matter. It's fine. Football doesn't matter. Football doesn't matter. It's fine. And now we've got less than a minute on our uh, Zoom meeting, so we'll end it on that. Remember, (laughs) no matter what's going on, football doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Thank you very much, Dave Watson. Leave us a five-star review. Thank you, Paul (laughs) Doolan. Thank you. Football doesn't matter and neither does anything else in your life. Goodbye.
Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you got this podcast. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. Sports Social Podcast Network.